Well, good morning. Good morning. Glad you're here. You know, it was a while back, uh, I remember we were touring this house that we got to buy, and um, I remember going through one of the rooms, and it was the baby room. And uh, this couple that we bought the house from had this little baby, and I remember seeing Noah and the Ark wallpaper as a border up on the, uh, up on, up on the wall up top. And, uh, you know, whether you grew up in the church or not, we all know the story of Noah and the Ark, don't we? I mean, I'm not coming up here on a topic today to go, I've never, have you ever heard this about Noah and the Ark? My goodness. No, we all know about that, right? We, we are familiar with this story. I would say it's one of, probably one of the most popular stories in all of Scripture. And maybe even for those that aren't into Scripture, it's still a popular story, given that you can get wallpaper and mobiles above the crib of Noah and the Ark and all kinds of toys and whatnot. And so we're going to be revisiting this famous story this morning. Uh, as we do, I want to begin in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, and you don't even have to turn to your Bible yet. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen for you. It says this, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I don't know about you, but if you notice and look up on the screen instead of at me, this is a good time to do it. Notice how the first two words are the same as the last two words. By faith, by faith, by faith. Faith is key to Noah's story. In fact, if we miss that, we miss really the story of Noah and the ark. And therefore, since it is faith, it's going to be our focus for this morning. You know, the magnitude of faith that was required of Noah, to me, is just astounding. I'm amazed at the faith that was required, that was necessary for him to embrace, to have as he journeyed through life with what God asked him to do. In fact, to me, it seems almost unrealistic. I mean, as I thought about this, from what I could research and learn, Noah was a farmer. Uh, Noah had no woodcrafting skills. He wasn't in woodshop in junior high, okay? He has no training in boat design, think about that. Uh, And he's not a structural engineer. I just threw that one in there thinking that that might be helpful in designing and building a boat. He has no nautical skills, no uh, marine skills, if you will, no gap navigation skills. He's never seen a boat, a big boat in particular. From what we can tell, he's probably never seen the ocean. And the one that grabs my attention the most, he's never seen it rain. Think about that and your faith in something that you've never seen. Noah couldn't in our day and age like we could Google Ark and learn about it. Noah couldn't be going, what should we watch tonight? Oh, it's how it's made, and this one's on boats. He couldn't tune in to watch that episode. And so the amount of faith, the amount, the volume of faith that's going to be required of this man to do what God is calling him to do, to trust God at what God has said, to trust God's word. I want to submit to you, that's why Noah is in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. And that we read here just a moment ago in verse 7. So I was thinking about this, and so I'm thinking out loud at this moment. Here's the question that went in my mind that I share with you. Why did God ask a man with no training and no experience 
Why did he ask a man that way to assume a task so extraordinary? And as I processed this question in my mind, I wondered, well, was it because everybody else said no? And so therefore he turned to Noah. Well, scripture indicates that he didn't, God did not ask anybody else. So that's not the reason why he chose Noah to build the ark. And then I thought, well, was it because God needed Noah? And last I checked through scripture and understanding theology proper and who God is, God is sovereign. God is self-sufficient. So God, I don't believe, needed Noah. So here's an answer I'd like to suggest to you, an answer to my question. And it's this. Noah was a man who worshiped God, walked with God, and worked for God in this order. Worship God, walk with God, work for God. Hebrews 11 is about faith. And when you look at Hebrews 11, as I've done the last couple messages, we looked at Abel and Abel worshiping God. Then we looked at Enoch, who's next listed in Hebrews 11, and Enoch walked with God. And then we get to Noah, our guy for today, and he is a man who worked for God. He, by faith, worked. And so I want to submit to you that the order of these in Hebrews 11 of these men, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, is not just chronological, but that it's ordained by God. It's specifically put in this order. In fact, I thought about it this way as a Noah life habit. Noah focused on being with God before doing work for God. He focused on being with God for doing the work for God. Think of it this way. In your bulletin, amongst all the great announcements that Mike gave us today, one that he could have added was the personal time with God, that sheet that's inside. We pro provide that to you every week to, to read as Matt writes that for us. And I get it as an email and I read it every day. That is, I've looked at it, and Matt can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not about doing work for God. That is about being with God. It's personal time with God. If you're blessed enough to have been a second guest, second time guest here, and you received the gift bag, you'll find in there, among other things, a daily bread. That's about being with God. If you come back and you're a third time guest, you're going to get a book. It's called Promises of God. It's not about doing something for God. It's about being with him and his word and being and pouring over his promises for you wherever you are today in your life. And so this is where I come back and I go, man, Noah has a good life habit here. He focuses on being with God, nurturing with God, spending time with God, personal time with God, first before during the work of God. And as I thought about this, I thought as Christians, you know what we usually do or can do? Maybe I'm speaking for myself with the mirror in front of me, is I can prioritize doing the work of God before being with God. Have you been there? Some of the announcements we got about some of the stuff that we've got coming up is to do. We've got a, a, a harvest fest coming up. There's some work to be done. And as a pastor in my life, I can a lot of times, because of how busy it can be, I can justify in my mind, oh, I've got a lot of work to do for God. God understands I'll have to be with him later. And yet when I look at Noah, I'm going, man, this guy's life habit was being with God, 
doing work for God, being with God, they're both spiritual disciplines. And, and as I thought about this further, I went, oh, where's Jesus on this? Oh, he has something to say. This is kind of important. Jesus teaches us how important the priority of being with God is. I put it up on the screen for you. This is from Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42, verses that you know. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I love the rhetorical question there. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. As you look at this, I look at verse 40. It says, but Martha was distracted with much doing. There's mis- Jesus is here. Shouldn't we be doing something for him, right? And what does Jesus say? It's not that that's bad. It's that the good portion here, as it says in verse 42, is what's the priority. It's being with God, being at his feet. Because Noah prioritized being with God, because he pursued God, he was, I want to submit to you, prepared to do a great work for God. So two questions that came to my mind this morning that I want to propose to us and hopefully answer them effectively. One question is, how do we know that Noah's faith was at work? As we look at his life in a snapshot of a few moments this morning, how do we know that his faith was at work? And then the follow-up question personalizes for us. How do you know, how do I know that faith is at work? In my life. So to, to, to answer the first question, we got to jump into where Noah's faith is at work in Genesis 6, verses 5 to 14. So if you got a Bible, now's the time to grab it and turn to Genesis 6. It can't get much easier today than turning to Genesis 6. It's the first book of the Bible, sixth chapter in. It's pretty there, straightforward. Hope you can turn there. We're just going to go through a verse or two at a time. So Genesis 6, we pick it up in verse 5. It says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 5 gives us a quick snapshot, a quick overview, a quick theme, if you will, of the current condition of men and women. Sorry, girls, we're not, you're not excused from this. It's all mankind. They are all wicked. It's interesting it says that every desire that they have in their heart, every intention is for what? It is for evil. That kind of freaks me out to be in a world where everybody's intention is for evil. And violence and sin. You know, since the fall of man, man, women, all of us have known the difference between good and evil. And as I thought about this, I wonder, would it have been better for us not to know the difference between good and evil? Because when man is put with a, the freedom to choose between good and evil, he's not good at choosing, is he? <laughs> he's always choosing evil. And this context here in this society at this point in Noah's day, everyone is choosing evil. 
Why? When, 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 when man sought to find good on his own, he failed miserably. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've understood that in your own life. He couldn't find it all. All he could find was evil. So as I thought about this, I thought, well, what was God thinking and feeling about the state of mankind of the world at this point? Go back to your Bible. Look at verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Have you ever wondered, does, does God have feelings? This is where you shake your head, yes, he does. All right? This verse gives us an indication of how God's feeling. He does. It says that he regretted that he's made man. Your translation might have it that he is sorry that he's made man. He's processing through looking at this. And this is how God is right now. He's grieved over what he sees, over what he hears, of what's going on on the planet. So what does God's holiness, that's who God is, God's holy. And what is God's justice? God is a just God. What does that demand for sin and rebellion? Well, verse 3, jump up to verse 3, it gives us a hint. It says this, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 years. That's a hint of what God thinks about man's sin as God being holy and just. Here's God's plan now with what he's about to do. Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Wow. As I think about that and the list that's there, it's alarming to me that everything listed in verse 7 was once called good. In Genesis 1 and 2, as God is creating, he says of man, very good. And all the ants or animals, whatever it is, ants, I'm thinking creeping things across the, the floor, even those God calls is good. And now God is saying it is not going to live all of his creation that he sees here. And the fact is, is that punishment awaits all of us if we never turn to God and never repent of our sins. That's what scripture teaches. Well, obviously there's one man who doesn't have complete desires for evil and for doing wrong and pursuing violence. And we know this man is Noah. Genesis 6-8 gives us a great contrast between Noah and everyone else. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. It's a short verse. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word favor, it's the Hebrew word han. It might be translated in your Bible, grace. This is the first time in all of Scripture that the word grace is put in print. And Noah is the first person that God says, when I look at all this world and everyone's evil desires, there's only one person I look at that I'm going to extend favor to, that I'm going to extend grace to, to bestow upon. And that's Noah. As he's looking down, he's like, there's one guy I don't want to punish. There's one guy I want to hold and give grace to. 
And so I thought, was, well, was Noah perfect? And if you're thinking, you're going, oh, I don't know, was he? I want to submit to you, he was not perfect. Here's how I know. A couple reasons. Uh, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, that's after the flood has subsided, and now Noah goes to offer up a, a sacrifice. He offers two sacrifices, or a sacrifice for two purposes. One, the first one is for thanksgiving. If you come off a boat and everyone else is dead except you and your family, I might be going, thank you, God, right? The other reason he's offering a sacrifice is to atone for his own sin. So he's not perfect. Furthermore, if you go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, verse 21, the dude gets drunk. And when he does, he's not wearing a whole lot of clothing. So he's not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, and it's shown by his own lifestyle in offering up a sacrifice. So Noah was not perfect, but I want to submit to you the deep thoughts, the intentions of his heart, what he was really after was good. And that is why Noah finds favor from God. Verse 9 begins to explain why. It kind of lays it out for us. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Not perfect, but blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Righteous, blameless, he's walking with God. That's a description of Noah. This is why he's finding favor with God. By the way, he's the only person who's doing this. Who's blameless, who is righteous, who is walking with God. Noah is it. Noah is considered righteous because of his faith, not because of his works. It's a reminder for all of us. Noah's faith saved him from the flood. Not because he is perfect, but because of his faith. Noah worshiped God by faith, and he walked with God by faith. I'm going to submit to you that Noah's trust in God was everything to him. It was everything to him. In other words, Noah prioritized being with God, and this made him fit and ready to do the work of God for serving God. So God is bringing a flood. Verse 3 was the hint. Verse 7 is the plan and how God's going to do this. And verses 11, 12, and 13 sets up and gives us God's decree for how this is going to go down. Look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. We'll stop there. So here's God's decree, and it's laid out for us in what God's going to do. So Noah has worshipped God and walked with God. He loves being with God, which makes it fitting for the next first part of verse 14. What does it say? Verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. No, I've seen your life. I've seen what you're about. You're about being with me. You're about worshiping me. You're about walking with me. And so I have an assignment for you, some work for you to do that no one else is going to do but you. He's prepared to do the work for God. As I was thinking about this and Noah's story in these first few verses, 
Here's what I'd like to do, because if you know me, I'm a story guy, or I'm trying to put something in my mind to help me grasp this. Yeah, you're all like, yeah, we know that. What, what is it today? Well, how many of you have ever played the game Monopoly? Only a few of you? Man, you need to come to my house. Let's, let's play Monopoly. My goodness. So Monopoly, right? We've played this game Monopoly, and this is a great game in my opinion, and, and if you played the game of Monopoly, I have a question for you. What, what would you say is the most important or valuable pieces of property you can get? Boardwalk and Park Place. So you've got this figured out. I'm, I'm glad you're so smart and you've played this game before. So while the property um, is more expensive, the houses are more expensive, the hotels are more expensive, everything's more expensive on Boardwalk and Park Place, from what I've understood with the game, it offers the greatest return on your investment. That's why it's so expensive. Here's my point. I want to submit to you that, think of it like this, that, that Noah came to Boardwalk, and he bought on, in on that, and that represents faith. And then he landed again, and now it's on Park Place. And I want to submit to you this is obedience. Out of all the properties, of all the things that Noah could invest in, and buy into, it's faith, it's obedience. Faith and obedience. That's going to cost him some. But that is what he's going to monopolize, if you will. That's what he's going to focus his life on as he lives it out. Faith and obedience offer Noah the best, most personable, deepest relationship he could have with God. And if you've played Monopoly, and maybe some of you didn't raise your hand, I used to play it, but the reason I don't play it anymore is because it takes too long. Have you ever been there on that game that <laughs> it takes too long? Yes, we, we, we know that. It takes forever. So imagine this. Scholars believe that Noah built the ark from the time that he started building to the time he finished. Scholars believe it's like 55 to 75 years of actual building. So imagine playing Monopoly for 55 to 75 years. Faith and obedience, constantly investing in that, building on that, growing in that. Here's Noah for all those years of doing. In my mind, that's a long, long time to work out your faith. So this question that I wanted to propose to you, I raise again, is this. How do we know that Noah's faith was at work? How do we know that Noah's faith was at work? It's 120 years total from the time that God knocks on his door and says, you're going to build me an ark to the time that the flood comes and he's in the ark with his family. 120 years. And in that is the 55 to 75 years of, of building. So how do we know that Noah's faith was at work? Let me give you some examples that I see that we can point to. Here's the first one. Noah believed what God said about the future. And he answered God's call for his life. Noah believed what God said about the future. That's faith. That's faith. And he answered God's call for his life. That's obedience. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, the beginning, it says, By faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Noah believed by faith, not by sight of rising waters going, you know, we better get busy building here. Not by sight of, wow, it's been raining for a long time. But by faith. He believed what God said about the future. Divine communication, the voice of God, and Noah obeys. Noah took God at his word. 
In a world that many scholars believe is 10 to 100 million people, somewhere in there, pick a number between 10 and 100 million people, Noah is the only dude who's monopolizing faith and obedience before a God that he has reverence for. He's it. He's it. And as I thought about this a little bit further using this analogy of monopoly, imagine going around the board and that representing one year. And the roll of the dice represents the days in that year. And as you've played the game, you land on other people's properties. And sometimes that costs you and sometimes it doesn't, right? Sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. And I thought about maybe he landed on this. No one believes you avenue. You're the only one who believes this. As we go around in life and everyone else is doing that, <laughs> no one wants to be on that one, right? No, no one believes you avenue. Or here's another one that he might have landed on and I thought about. Keep on working avenue. I think he landed on that one a lot in 55 to 75 years, right? Or another one that he might have landed on. Nothing but dry land everywhere place. <laughs> right? There's no water. There's no rain. There's no clouds. And yet, what do we see as an example of Noah's faith at work? He believes what God says about the future. So he's answering God's call for his life to build the ark. And as I thought about this, have you noticed in your life, if you're a Christian, that faith and obedience doesn't always pay off at the end of the day? It's like, what did that get me today? Trusting God through this today. Oh, man, really? Where's the payoff? Where's the return on the investment? That's a, that's a lot to invest in. Well, I think that was true for Noah. It's true for you. It's true for me. It takes time to see that come around. Friends, Noah embraced the warning of God gave him. He believed what God said. And the second point that I can look at as an example of how we know that Noah's faith was at work is this. Noah adjusted his life accordingly. He adjusted his life accordingly. He lived counter to his culture. He lived counter to his culture. Noah adjusted his life accordingly. That's faith at work. And he adjusted, his, or he lived counter to his culture. That's obedience because he's the only one who's doing that. And by this, as Hebrews eleven seven says, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So here's Noah. In reverent fear, out of respect, it's like stopping at railroad tracks, right? When you see the, the, the arms come down and the lights are flashing. It's that reverent fear, like stop. It, it says that he, he condemned the world. Noah's righteousness and obedience to God was a work there. And God contrasts how sinful the world was to reject Noah's message that there's a flood coming, that you need to repent, that destruction is coming. You see, as I thought about this, sincere beliefs will always bring a life adjustment, doesn't it? You ever been to the doctor? And the doctor says, I want you to adjust this in your life. And you're like, okay, if you said so, if I want to live, right? We make adjustments. We do this in our lives regularly. So Noah's life wasn't the same after believing what God said. There was adjustment to his life. And as with Noah, when you adjust your life according to what God says, you're going to be more in line with God's will for your life. But I don't know about you, but perhaps you've noticed we don't like change a whole lot, or is that just me? Write the word adjustment, and you're like, where's the marker to cross that out, right? We don't want that. Why? Well, there's fear of what God may ask of me. So as I thought about this, going back again to Monopoly, and there's other players, they, they represent other people that knew Noah. As they're going around the board, right, in their lives, they pass by him every day for 55 to 75 years. 
as he's going about his work. And, and as my thinking was, is I'm guessing that they mocked his beliefs and adjusted lifestyle. The idea of monopolizing faith and obedience. That's so stupid. Why would you do that? That's foolishness. Despite what people thought and said to Noah or about Noah to others, Noah kept on building, which brings us to another example we can point to know this faith is at work. Noah built the ark faithfully. He stayed on task. He built the ark faithfully. Faith at work, and he stayed on task. Obedience. It's interesting, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, it says this. Noah did this, built the ark. He did all that God commanded him to do. Faith and obedience being carried out in his life. 55 to 75 years, in my mind, is a long time to stay on one task. I've done five days of building a house in Mexico with no power tools, which Noah didn't have any power tools, right? Mixing concrete on the ground. Five days of that, I'm thinking, man, I'm ready to be done. Well, imagine doing this for 55 to 75 years. Staying on task, building faithfully. One more monopoly analogy. Think of community chest. Think of that as a community chest as other responsibilities in your life. Because those don't go away for Noah. I think of chance as the trials and testing that you land on. And Noah had to face these. I thought of him pulling the card of community chess, other responsibilities. And one might be, stop work today and be with God. But look at what's, there's a flood. I got to, no, just stop and be with me. Can you do that in your own life? Just to stop and be with God? Stop and care for your marriage. Reminder to us men. Stop and spend time with your kids, Noah. You've got three boys. Spend time with them. Or how about for, 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 for chance? He pulls that one up and it says this. Payment due for trusting God. You lose a friendship. Because now he's going to say, I've, I've got to do what God's called me to do. And some other dude's like, well, then I, I can't be around you. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. Or another one, congratulations, you get to receive more wood. Keep at it, right? Despite everyone else living apart from God, despite all the years it would take him, Noah's faith and obedience continued on and it worked for him. And as a result of Noah monopolizing faith and obedience, Hebrews eleven seven tells us this, that Noah saved his family. Think of your own family and think of the work of you just being faithful and obedient and that saves the actual lives of your family. That's Noah. As a result of Noah monopolizing faith and obedience, the wicked were proven wrong. See, many people will reject Jesus, but on one day, everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord as their judge. As a result of Noah monopolizing faith and obedience, Noah was declared righteous. He's declared righteous. I invite you to stop and think about your own standing before God today. Is it declared righteous because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Or do you think you're declared righteous because you're better than someone else? Well, you might be, but God's not grading on a scale, right? So when the rains fell for 40 days and 40 nights, I wonder if it's at that moment, somewhere in the journey of this, if that's when Noah realized the true value of faith and obedience. 
The second question I want to propose to you in the last few moments I have is, how can you know that your faith is at work? How can you know that your faith is at work? You know, we live in a culture that reflects the context of what Noah's culture was. It's just repackaged for us. We live in a world that, where sin is glorified and violence is going on. We live in a life where purity is viewed as being judgmental. We live in that. And just like in Noah's day, the Bible says that judgment is coming. In fact, in fact, Jesus wanted us to be reminded of this. And he says so in Matthew 24. In verse 36, it says, But concerning that day of the hour, no one knows, not even the angels or the heaven, nor in the Son, but the only the Father. For as were the days of Noah, so will be coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is telling us what's coming. For us, Christ is the ark. And our task is to get people to the ark. So how can you know that your faith is at work? Let me give you two keys. One, since Jesus is coming again, that's the faith that we trust in what his word says. You adjust your life to share God's story, just like Noah did. You adjust your life to share God's story. Christ alone is the one that saves us from judgment. As I said, we're called to get people to the ark. Christ is the ark. So when we talk about, when we refer to oikos, this is where we're adjusting our life daily, sometimes inconveniently, to stay on mission and to adjust our life to share God's story. In partnership with God, we're called to invite people in to get them on board to warn them about an impending judgment in hell according to what scripture is teaching us. And so this is going to call into, for our lives, an adjustment. For Noah building the ark was his message. Life adjustment. His faith and obedience was a testimony to others. It can be one for you as well. The second key of how you can know that your faith is at work is this. Since Jesus is coming again, that's the faith. You build your life for God's glory. That's the obedience, just like Noah did. For the glory of God, we need to monopolize our spiritual gifts. We need to monopolize our resources. We need to monopolize our time that God's given us. We need to monopolize faith and obedience. And so as I read through the passage of Scripture and this story on Noah, you know, 120 years passed between God coming to Noah, saying the flood's coming, and the time that it actually came. And I thought, well, what if we don't have 120 years until Jesus comes, or 120 months, or 120 days, whatever you want it to be, until Jesus comes back? I go back to Monopoly again, and this is that solution that they put in the game to try and get us to keep playing it, and it's the time limit game version. You pick a set amount of time, and that's when it ends. I want to challenge you, I want to challenge me to... Go through life with this mindset, this idea that we've only got so much time until Jesus is coming back. And if you're complacent in that way, may I give you, and thinking that Jesus isn't come back for a long time, may I, may I give you this warning that Jesus gives in Matthew 24, verse 40 to 44. Then 
Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two men will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also, me also, must be ready. We must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. The words of Jesus. Noah had a reverent fear of God. What's your fear of God like? Noah monopolized faith and obedience. What are you monopolizing in your life today? We've seen that it's a payoff that's good, faith and obedience. Noah's faith was at work. Where's your faith today? What kind of person was Noah? He was the kind of person whose faith was at work. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be those people where our faith would be at work as well. That, God, we'd be obedient to what you've told us today and be reminded that, God, we've only got so much time until your return. So, God, wherever that is for us today, wherever our faith is, wherever our obedience is, Lord, I just pray that we might, we might just stop and think about what are we monopolizing or what is monopolizing us? Oh, God, we thank you for your grace. As children of God, that you looked at us and said, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. And Lord, out of our appreciation, out of our love for you, it comes back of trusting you and being obedient to what you say. God, help us with that as we go out this week and live our lives for you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.